But it's lovely to be here. My subject tonight is prayer. And that's one of, I believe, I would nearly say one of the most important subjects for, for the Christian in ways. There are other important subjects, but if I look back to a lot of the revivals that there have been, and we can do that, we see that they were saturated in prayer, you know? There was one time I was showing a few people around Woodford Hall that, that I'm from, and we have a meeting up the stairs and into the right for the prayer room. And there was a man in the group, there was about maybe six of them, they, 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 they were holding a funeral, you see, and then they had their sort of reception over in the cup of tea over in the hall and they wanted to see round it, so I showed them round and I said, this, this here is the prayer meeting, this is where we have our prayer meeting. And one of the men shouts out, he said, that's the powerhouse of the church. You know, and he's right, he's right too. But prayer, let, let's go tonight to 1 Timothy and chapter 2. And you can keep your Bibles pretty close there because I'll be looking at more scriptures from what we have here. 1 Timothy and chapter 2. And Paul is writing here to young Timothy, could I put it that way? There was people who thought he was... You know, Timothy could advise him. He said, let no man despise thy youth. He was a young Christian, Timothy, but a very, a very good one at that. But here we have 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is the writer, of course. He says, I exhort therefore. Now, the word exhort is strongly urge, is, is the idea here. I urge you strongly, I exhort therefore. Now, maybe you've heard of Frank Knox, have you? If Frank says this, Frank always said this. He said, when you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. You know, and that's, that's a good guide. Because this goes back to, there's a couple of guys here in the previous end of chapter one, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and, and they've been actually not behaving themselves too well, and the church has had to act with them. But Paul's saying here, in light of maybe a lot of things that happen, and things that happen in churches, and things can happen, he says, and in a world that, you know, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot. And you know what that's about. I'm not going to go into that too much. He says, so also, Jesus said this, so also shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And those are, I believe, real signs that we're living in the last days. Paul could say in this epistle to Timothy here, he could say, let's know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And I believe we're living in those times close to the near return of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that. But let's go on here. That's not my subject tonight, but it, it zooms in here. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, and I want you to notice this word, this word, first of all, because it needs emphasis. I would say that, as, as Paul is writing here, that this is a priority. First of all, First of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving thanks, giving of thanks be made for all men. Uh, so you have the idea of the emphasis being laid on prayer. First of all, it comes first to, to start praying. And then, as you notice, there are four different types of prayer, of, of attitudes to prayer. There's supplications, and that's asking God, it's, it's stronger than what you'd say in normal prayer, you may excuse my words there, but supplications goes a bit stronger than, say, with the normal prayers that you have. It, it, it's exhorting the throne, it's appealing to God. There's more stress on the word supplication. But then it says that supplications, prayers, then it says intercessions. Now, that's, an intercession is pleading on behalf of someone. 
you say. So you have the idea, prayer, of prayer the, the, the first type of prayer is really exhorting the throne, and then you can have what you say, normal prayer as you go about. Then you have intercessions, which is you, you're, you're, you're actually pleading to God on behalf of others. And then there's giving of thanks. That's part of prayer. That, that's the idea. We should be, there's lots of verses that tell us that we should be giving thanks for the things that God has done for us. And then it says, be made for all men. Now I'm going to stop a wee bit on, on this first verse. Now there's four different types of prayer here. And you can, you can see it divided up, four different types. But I, I'm, I'm thinking a wee bit, I want to go back to the Old Testament because in the tabernacle, if you were to walk into the tabernacle through the first gate, you come to the, the altar, the, the brazen altar where all the sacrifices were, and then go a bit further, you come to the laver, which was a round uh, metal container with water. And then you go through a, a, a sort of a curtain area into what's called the holy place. And in that holy place, you have a table with bread on it, 12 loaves of bread. And you have a, a lampstand uh, fed on oil, you see. It, basically, it's the only light in that area. There's no chairs in it because those priests never sat down. The only one who eventually did sit down was the, the Lord Jesus. It says in Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down. It finished. The work was finished. The Old Testament priests were never finished. There's no chairs in the holy place. But there was another item in the holy place called the incense altar, you see. And what they did was, with a pair of tongs, they went to the brazen altar, which, which had a fire in it always, and they took coals and brought the coals into the incense altar, and then they had incense like frankincense, you see, in that there, there was a holy anointing oil as well. And they used to light that with the coals, and there would have been a, an incense, a perfume went up from that, and that spoke of prayer you see. And if the incense altar in the holy place speaks of prayer, you see the, the lampstand with oil and the light speaks of the Holy Spirit. We do need that. We, we need prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. And then you have the table of showbread, and that speaks of food. We do need food. The Christian needs food. The Christian needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Christian needs prayer. You have that all in the holy place. That's before you go through the veil into the holiest of all. And of course, in the Old Testament, the only person who went in there, and he only went in once a year, was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. We have that in Leviticus 16. Only one. And the rest of the, the Israelites, maybe a million of them, sitting around watching as the priest went in. They, were, they weren't even in the tabernacle itself. They were outside in their different places because they all had their own place, north, south, east, west. And <coughs> excuse me. There's no Oh yes. I was going the wrong way. We test the water does you good sometimes. And that's good water too. You know? <laughs> There's some water is a bit bitter, but that's nice. I, I was used when I was on the farm over there beyond Red Hill, we used to have spring water. Not not the water from of course the water from the spoutings, there was there was there was barrel water too, but there, there was a spring too as well. It was well water. It was lovely water. You know, it was hard water. The rainwater is soft water. That's about as much as I know about it. <laughs> but there you are. Now, where was I? I was in the, the, the holiest of all. And the high priest could only go in there once a year. And not, he had to bring blood. He had to bring the blood of that goat, those two goats, you see. But he had to bring the blood of one goat. 
and sprinkled it before the, the, the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid of the ark, you know. It was made of pure gold. And that's where, where God came down. The Shekinah glory of God came down whenever that offering was made. And as the people watched, they could see that, that cloud of the... I think that was the cloud that they had when they came out of Egypt. Do you remember? There was a cloud went before them. And then at night time, it was burning. But I think it was the same cloud because you know, at night time, you can see the fire. But in the daytime, you can't see the fire. And in the daytime, you had the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God. And they followed that. That went ahead of them and they followed it. Just like we, we follow the word of God, you see. That's what, that's what we follow. God doesn't leave us. We have the Holy Spirit in us, yes. And through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we get, we, we're led by the Spirit. You see, they had the cloud uh, uh, in the daytime, and then the fiery cloud, well, it was different, looked different, but it was the same Shekinah glory. But whenever the priest offered the, the, the blood of the goat in the holiest of all, the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God came down. But the people didn't get in. They all watched. And they sat in their tents and they observed. And they were even glad to see the priest coming out, coming out alive. There's stories about the Israelites way back in those days that they used to tie a rope around the leg of the priest. I don't think maybe it's right, but it illustrates what I'm talking about. Because if he went in and he wasn't right, he would have been struck down. And they would have pulled him out, you see. But he had to come out alive. Of course, he, 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 he wasn't dressed up in his priestly garments, notice. I've heard people talk about, because there's wee bells on the end of the ephod. And as the priest moved, the wee bells would ring, you see. And I've heard preachers say that when the priest went into the holy place and he was moving, they heard the wee bells and they knew he was still alive. No. If you read Leviticus 16 carefully, he took off his ephod. And what did he put on? He put on linen garments. Pure. Linen speaks of purity. He, and of course he had a bullock sacrificed for his sins. And he went in as a pure priest into the holy place, you see. I want to say tonight, it's an amazing thing for the Christian to come into the presence of God. And I don't think, I'm speaking personally, I don't think we half appreciate the privilege and the reverence that's needed as we come into the presence of God. And I feel sometimes that the, the real presence of God is nearly lost you say, in our meetings. We become so used to it, you know? But when you come to the New Testament, you know what it says in Hebrews 10 and verse 19? It says, having therefore boldness, brethren, listen to it, to enter the holiest. See, that's Old Testament language. We're going through the veil here. We're into the holiest of all. To enter the holiest by what? By the blood of Jesus. And it's, you know, as we come into the presence of God today, in the church period, in the day of grace, we're coming into the presence, into the holiest of all, according to Old Testament typology. And it's by the price. It's not the blood of a goat or that type of thing. It's the blood of Christ that we can come into the presence of God. So you see, but let's go back to... Exodus 30 for a moment. Exodus chapter 30 in your Bible. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy 2. <clears throat> and what I'm saying is this, that there was an incense altar. But not only that, that there was an incense, a particular incense that was made up as well. And you find that in Ezekiel 30, 
You also find the holy anointing oil here, which is a great study in, its, in itself. But if you look at verse 34, now here's what happened. This is the incense that they made up. Beautiful. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacked. You see, that's the first one. And that, of course, was uh, made from gum from the bark of, of a shrub in the desert. It's, it's a particular type of, 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 of uh, 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 an ingredient. These are ingredients, really. The stacta. And then there's ansha. And that was made from a, a mollusk found in the sea, and it's sort of a shell thing, and they used a pestle and mortar. If you know what that means, you have a wee container and you have a thing, and you grind the shell down, and, and the, the, the creature as well, and that gives you ansha. And then it says, and galbanum, you know? And that's another creature, or not a, that was made out of uh, the sap of a plant that they got in, in the desert region, the, the, the Galbanon. Uh, and then it says, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Now you see, you've got four there, four ingredients for the, the incense that went up to God, you see? And of course, the, the frankincense, the final one, it was made from, it was pure white, in fact. There was something pure about it. And it was, it was made from a tree that yielded, uh, that, that had this bark, which they, they cut into the bark, just like rubber plant. I'm sure you've heard of rubber. They get that out of a rubber tree. They, they slit the bark and the, they put a wee container and the sap runs into the container. And it was the same with the frankincense. It was a, it was, they think that that was the, the scent that was used, Mary, remember Mary used to anoint the feet of Jesus. It was very expensive, very expensive. So you have four different, uh, uh, what do you say, ingredients. Uh, the, if you, the stacked would be patience in prayer, waiting on God, you see. Uh, it, 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 was, it was made and it, was, it sort of distilled like dew in a sense. The ansha, it, it spoke, it was crushed, you see, with the pestle and mortar. That was more serious prayer. You, you could group these prayers. The galbanon, actually from the sap of a plant, and it had more strength and in a sense, it, you could put maybe praise there. You know, I'm just thinking of these different areas. And then the, the, the frankincense, uh, it was pure, and it would speak to me about it was white, and it speaks of purity in prayer. We don't come to pray if there's sin in our life. Psalm 66 says this about prayer. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And that's a very, straight, uh, a very straight statement from Psalm 66. So the frankincense would speak of that. Now, it's just as I could go more into those. I, I leave those four ingredients. So that was the incense that went up to God from the incense altar. Whenever the, 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 the coal from the, the brazen altar was put along with this incense made up of those four ingredients, that incense, in a beautiful smell, would go up to God. You see, that's what it was all about. The idea was going up to God, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is like incense going up to God. It's a lovely, and it's a lovely study to, maybe I, I haven't time tonight to look into those four ingredients, but they're beautiful when mixed together. They make a lovely perfume. A lovely ingredient. But let's go back to 1 Timothy 2, just for a moment. Now, there's a few details here about prayer that are very interesting. First of all, we, we get the priority of prayer. I exhort, first of all, 
And I want those three words to get to us tonight. First of all, first of all, prayer. That's, that's one of the things that we do. That's the lesson we need to get. And you have the four. You have, you have supplication, which is beseeching God. You have prayers. You have intercessions for people, for other people. On be, you're, you're actually, if you're interceding, you're interceding on behalf of other people. That's, uh, there's people around us here who are not saved. And we are interceding with God. We're praying on behalf of those people that they will be saved. You see, that's the idea of intercessions. And then, of course, there's the giving of thanks. The, the Bible is very clear that the giving of thanks is very much a part of prayer. So you have the four areas of prayer there to look at. But then in the next verse, not only is there a priority in prayer, but there's the people to pray for. Now, there's people to pray for. At the end of verse 1, it says, all men, and give thanks. Be, those four ingredients or four hours of prayer be made for all men. Notice that there's a prayer there for all people. There's, not, there's no, nothing limited in, in the width of... But then also, if you go to verse 2, you get other people. It says for kings. Now, and for all that are in authority. Now, I think it's good if we pray for the, the people who are in government. We have this in Romans 13 as well. We have it in the book of Titus as well. The idea that we, we pray for our country and we pray for, I'm not one who would get involved in politics. You know, I, I, that's a personal belief that I would have. I wouldn't want to be, because you'd be involved in stuff that you didn't believe in. That you, you, if you voted for a party, uh, uh, if you're in a political party and they brought in regulations, you, well, you, if you... If you couldn't stand up for it, you couldn't be in it. If you know what I mean by that, you know? And, but we pray for people. We pray for kings. Very interesting that, that you know, that, that would include the, 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 the Roman authorities in those days. And a lot of those Caesars were pretty bad boys, you know? The Bible says to pray for them, you know? And I, I believe when this was written, there would have been a guy on the throne of Rome. And what he did was, here's what he did. He, he tied the Christians in his garden to poles, posts. And he covered them with tar. And he lit them. And he walked in the midst of them, reading his periodicals. He walked up and down in the midst of those Christians. That's what he did. I'm trying to think of the first of the boy that was. Do you know the boy that was on the throne? Yes, there's quite a few who were on the throne, but the, 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 particularly there's a guy called Domnician. You know, and he was he was a, he he was what he did was he drove posts in, let the tide go out, and he drove posts into the sand. And he tied the Christians to these posts, and there was a boy stood out and asked them, did they, you know, the, the, it, it, they were to say, Caesar is Lord, you see. Say, Caesar is Lord. And there were a few of them back, Jesus is Lord, you see. And if they didn't say Caesar, the tide came in, you see, right up and over them. Of course, it is recorded that some of them did give in. Some of them did say Caesar is Lord. And maybe we have sympathy for them in ways. <laughs> Although they shouldn't have, but that's what Domnician did. You know, the, some of those empires. He says, pray for kings. And maybe there's people in government that we wouldn't necessarily approve of, but we pray for them. Let's notice that. For kings and for all that are in authority. And there's a purpose in that, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You see. And we do want that. We want to live properly 
and we pray for those people that are in authority, as Romans would tell us to do. It says, verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight, and I notice this expression, in the sight of God, our Saviour. You know, there's a lovely expression. I believe that's a lovely expression for the Lord Jesus. Jesus is God, yes, but he's our Saviour, isn't he? And we see, not only do we see a priority in prayer, first of all, not only do we see the people that we pray for, all people, all men, and for the people in authority, but we see a person here who... Who, who, who is maybe answering our prayers. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The, the Lord Jesus, these prayers go, we pray as we pray, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, you see. And he knows all about these prayers. And in his sight, prayers like that are good and acceptable. Isn't that amazing, you see? And it says, I notice that, it says about the Lord Jesus that he's God, that's his deity. It says in verse 4, now what about him? It says, who will have all men to be saved. A lot of people don't like that phrase. I know a guy and here's what he says. I was talking to him one day and here's what he says. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, he died for all. Is it? You know what he adds to that? He died for all the elect. He sticks that in. That's adding to the Bible, you know. Let's, let's notice that. That's adding to Scripture. I'm very careful about that. We, we don't add to the Bible. And he believes that there's a certain chosen few that God saves, the elect. You see? What about the rest? They go to hell, don't they? I wouldn't like to accuse God of having the desire to choose certain people and let the rest go to hell. I wouldn't. It says here, in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the, the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. That's why we pray, when we pray for souls in our churches, we're directly in the center of the will of God. Because even if we go to over, 2 Peter 3 says, it's not his will that any should perish. Notice it. But that all should come to repentance. That's God's, that's God's will. It's not his will that people should finish up in hell, but the, there is a place called hell and if you go to Matthew 25, you find that hell is the place reserved for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't made for, for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. You see? God didn't see the idea of that happening. God doesn't want that to happen. It says, it says, He will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I, I think that that verse is marvelous. My, wouldn't we love to see people saved, wouldn't we? We would. And I, I think that one of the greatest visions that a church can get is, you know, it, it says, where there is no vision, it says the people perish. That's a good Old Testament verse that's quoted often. No vision for the lost, no vision, the people perish, the people go to hell, you see? And I, I would want us all, I would want my, I'm not standing up here saying that I'm perfect, I'm not. And I haven't as big a vision as I should have, you know. And we should have this vision, a vision that goes out to people because that's the, that's the will of the Lord. The Lord's will is that all men should be saved. That's his will. That's his vision. And not even when I think of the Apostle Paul as well, that's his, his vision was, because Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 says that, you know, that, that he wants to see, he has this desire, he has this burden 
for his own people, the Jewish people. And in, in Romans in Romans, uh, in Romans 9, Romans 10, the end of Romans 9, here's what he says, that he has this great burden for, for souls and for his own people, the Jewish people, he wants to see them saved. If you read the latter verses of Romans 9, you find that and in Romans 10 he has a specific prayer for his own people, the Jewish people. You get this burden for prayer for his own people. Who will, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, that's the person of Jesus, has his deity, who will of all men be saved. That's his desire, isn't it? That's the desire of the Lord. You see the deity of the Lord, and then you see the desire of the Lord. And then you see the, his devotion, his love. For he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself a ransom. Now, what is a ransom? Of course, if you go to the world, there's people who lift somebody to think that they've plenty of money. They'd lift them and take them away, and then they'd ring up the people and say, you'll get your daughter back or you'll get your son back, but you have to pay us maybe 500,000 pounds. You've heard that. You've seen that. And of course, once they get their payment for the money, it's chancy even whether they get their daughter and son back again, you know? That price is called a ransom. It's the cost. Jesus gave himself a ransom. He went to that cross at Calvary, and he suffered and he bled and he died on that cross for our sins. It says, who gave himself, I see his love here, a ransom. You know, the, the country of Alaska to the north of, of Canada, it's really part of Canada, but it's not part of Canada. Alaska is the very north. It's cold, cold country. I don't think it's... I was there one time. I was in a plane that stopped uh, at the main town of Alaska. I was there for about two hours while the plane refueled. And I remember getting out of the, uh, there, and when you came out of the plane, boys, the cold that hit you. Sometimes you go to tropical countries, and when you come out of the plane, the warmth hits you, and you, you gasp and you get the coat off. But in Alaska, the cold hit me like that. And I was glad to get into the airport itself, you know. But Alaska used to be part of Russia, you see, in the, in the 19th century. And in 1867, here's what happened. The USA bought Alaska from Russia for $7.2 million. Well, quite a price. That's what happened. And that's why today on the, on the map of North America, Alaska actually is part of the USA because she bought Alaska. But then the big thing about it was in the uh, 80s of the 19th century, 1980s, or 1880s, they discovered gold in Alaska. And Alaska is one of the richest countries in the world. It has the largest gold mines of all countries in the world. And now that gold is priceless, you see. And I'm sure Canada wishes today that you had bought Alaska at that time, you know. But, but, it, 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 but that's what happened. And the price was paid for Alaska was $7.2 million. I'll tell you this, the price that bought us in, in the sense of being redeemed was the precious blood of Christ, who gave himself a ransom, it says, for all to be testified and you notice the word again, for all. I believe the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for all. I believe there's people in hell tonight. And if they'd only believed when they were here, they'd have been saved. Because the blood of Christ was for them. And they refused it. It was shed for all. 
It says John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming in John 1 and 29, he could say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away, what? The sin of the world. <laughs> That's amazing. That's huge, you see? The sin of the world. Now, uh, I want to go just to Luke 18. And just keep in mind those lovely thoughts from First Timothy. Just Luke 18, John. Just, I'll skim down this past, lovely passage here. I have about 15 minutes left. Luke 11. It's a lovely, lovely chapter. And it came to pass, verse 1, that as he was praying, now that's Jesus. Now we're going to take a wee look at Jesus here. That as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, I wonder who that one was. I could guess. Because the disciple who always jumped in with both feet sometimes <laughs> did it too much with Peter, wasn't it? You know? But here the, 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 the disciple is praying in a certain place. One of his disciples said unto him, of course there are some who think that maybe it was John, because John sometimes refers to himself, but he's not named. You know, if you see that in the epistle of John. And what he said, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's an amazing statement, Lord. And I think we all would go in there. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus knew something about prayer. In chapter 3, he prayed at his baptism. I'll not go back to that. In chapter 6, he was on a mountain praying all night, Luke 6. And in chapter 9, at his transfiguration, he prayed before that, you see. And as he prayed, we're told that his countenance was altered. And Moses and Elijah stood with him. But it was while he was praying, the Lord Jesus. And then here, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, As he was praying. Oh, he was always in prayer. The Lord Jesus is a great example of prayer. And you'd say, maybe you say back to me, why did Jesus need prayer? <laughs> if Jesus needed prayer, we certainly need prayer. But he did, he prayed. He prayed to his Father in heaven, you see? And then the disciple comes and says, now verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4, as far as we are concerned, is just ignored. And you look up at me. That's true. We never say this prayer. There's other places, and it's prayed and prayed and prayed at every service. They are Father. You see? But we ignore it. You see? And Jesus said, look at verse 2. Jesus said unto them, when ye pray, look at it. When ye pray, say. Now, why does Jesus do that? You know? Powerful. Uh... I'm going to take it apart a wee bit. Just look at it. Our Father. That's a relationship, isn't it? Every one of us who are saved here, we have God as our Father. You see? Which art in heaven. That's his residence. That's where God is. Our Father, that's his residence. He's in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, notice the expression, hallowed be thy name, or holy. Oh, I think that we do need to see that. That's reverence, isn't it? You have a relationship. You have a residence where God is. You have reverence. Hallowed be thy name. We do need to know that God is holy. Hallowed be thy name. Notice this expression, thy kingdom come. I don't know whether he's referring to the kingdom of God on earth, and probably is, or there's a future kingdom coming as well. You see, this could be a prophetic statement by the Lord Jesus, because he knew all. 
Thy kingdom come. And in that kingdom, he's what? He's reigning. So you have uh, the residence, our Father. We have reverence, hallowed be thy name. Here he's reigning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Certainly God's will is done in heaven. And the, 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 the proposal is that God's will should be done on earth. It should be done on earth. That'll include us. But then there's, there's, there's requests, isn't there? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone that doesn't debt it to us. There's a lot of people who don't speak to people. I know Christians who don't speak to people. I don't agree with them, you know? And the Bible does say in Matthew 6 that when you come to the altar and you find there's something you have against somebody, you're to put it right before you get before you pray. And Matthew 11 is the other way about. In Matthew 11, it's in, 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 in Matthew 6, it's you against somebody. But in Mark 11, it's somebody has something against you. You see? And those both have to be dealt with before you can get to the altar to pray. You see, forgive us, our everyone that we also... It says, forgive us our sins, for we, can, we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. You see? We forgive people. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Now that prayer stops there, and our dear Roman Catholic friends stop there. You know, I'm sure you know that if you listen to their prayers. If you listen to them saying that, they always stop there. But if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you find Matthew 6, verse 13, says, For thine is the, the glory, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's rejoicing, isn't it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So there's a wee bit of a lesson on what's called, it's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the people's prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. Did you know that? That's where the Lord's Prayer in the upper room, Jesus prayed in, in John 17. That, that's the Lord's Prayer, you see. This is, Jesus says, when ye pray, and he's talking to the disciples, he said, it's the disciples' prayer. Lovely, it's a lovely prayer. And I'm not dismissing it tonight, because Jesus gave us, I believe not only in the early verse 1, put it this way, if you want a few headings, in verse 1, there's a problem in prayer. Teach us to pray. We want to be able to pray right. But then in verse 2 and 3 and 4, there's a pattern prayer. Could I put it that way? Jesus gives us some details. There's details in that prayer that speak to us that maybe we could follow. I'm not saying, when I was in hospital one time, there was a fellow, I'm not going to mention him here tonight, when he comes in to see you in hospital, I had quite a few visitors, and he read me a bit, and it was good of him to come in to see me, but then he prayed, and boys, he's a loud prayer. The whole ward here, you know? <laughs> and I noticed when he was praying, I had my eyes open a wee bit, the nurses who were on the trolleys, they all stopped. And out in the office, they all stopped, or they, they bowed their heads, you know, the somebody praying. And this fellow prayed, and there you are. But then there was a fellow beside me. I'm Robert, but he was Robert. And Robert turned to me and he says, Robert, could I get a copy of that prayer? <laughs> he thought it was some sort of a set prayer, you know. He says, could I get a copy of that prayer? You know, that was funny. But there you are. He, he was, I don't know what church he belonged to, but he thought that prayers were set prayers. And, and this prayer, this Our Father prayer, is used as a set prayer, and it really has spoiled it for the rest of us nearly. You know, but it hasn't, because if we look at it carefully, it's a wonderful prayer. It's, it's a prayer that Jesus gave to the disciples to, to show them how to pray, a, a pattern prayer. But then if we go on here, this is, this is good. In verse 5, and he said, Jesus said unto them, Which of you have a friend, 
and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. That's what he says. But then it says, verse 6, I say unto thee, you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, that's his insistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now in those days, here's what it was like here. If this, say this place is the, is the home, and that's the door. You know what they did? The, the animals, the, 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 the cattle and the goats and all stayed there. And then they'd a raised up part, like this platform here. And the children were up here and the adults were up here, you see. And for the man to get down to open the door, he had to go through his children, maybe disturb them, and then he had to go through the animals to get down to the door. There's a bit of work getting out to answer the door, you see. Just, not just as simple as that. And when the guy knocked the door and said, I want, I want five loaves, could, could you give me five loaves? He had to go through all that. But what the fellow at the door was, he, he, he persisted. You know, he stayed there. And he kept knocking. And at last the guy had to come out of his home through the animals. Of course, the animals were a good central heating, wasn't it? Because animals, there was a nice warmth from those creatures. And he got out and got, he gave him what he wanted. He gave him, he got, he got his loaves. But he persisted. Sometimes we need to get before God and persist in prayer, you see. And here's, here's what we have here. Verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You see, that follows the idea of persistence. And of course, you could put opposite that in your margin, promises of prayer. Those are lovely promises. If you notice ask, it says ask, seek, and knock. Notice ask begins with A, seek begins with S, and knock begins with K. And what does that spell? That spells ask. It's all ask, isn't it? You can see that. There's a great, great thing, there's a great lesson in prayer here, asking. If you don't ask, you don't get, if you know what I mean. Come before God. And then Jesus goes on to describe, verse 10, For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then he gives another illustration. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone, or a fish, or a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a stone? No, 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 God's not like that. If ye be evil, know how to give good gifts to your child. How much more shall your heavenly Father give to those to, that ask him? In this sense, it's the Holy Spirit. God, we have a lovely, generous God. We have. We have that beautifully described in the book of James. Comes down from the, he's called the Father of Lights. You know, there. We can come to the, the Father and he... And of course, you have persistence in prayer, and you have promises for prayer, ask, seek, and knock, and at last you have power in prayer. What have you mentioned in verse 13? You have the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you this, as we pray, we do need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers. We have this in Romans 8, and I haven't time to go into Romans 8 tonight, but it's, it, 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 we, that's power in prayer with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads you in prayer in Romans 8, the, the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. It searches out the mind of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then shows us what to pray for. You have that in Romans 8, about verse 23 where the Holy Spirit does this, searches out the mind of God as we pray, and then the Holy Spirit reveals to us, probably from the Word of God, as you're reading the Word of God, and you get answers to prayer, and you get answers, and you know what to pray for. You see, 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's nine o'clock, isn't it? No, it's about a minute to your clock's about a minute fast. <laughs> well, I just, I just hope and pray tonight that we've touched the lovely subject of prayer and that God will maybe speak to us and speak to me to, to continue in prayer. Maybe we've learned a few things about prayer that are marvelous and help us. My desire tonight would be help, to help us to, to pray because prayer, it says, first of all in First Timothy 2. First of all. Let's just bow for a word of prayer at the end of our meeting. Our Father... We're thankful that we have many things. It says in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? It also says that the Lord, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So we have Christ for us. And then it says that the Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we have the whole Godhead for us tonight. And then we have this wonderful Word of God, the Bible. Our Father, we come in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus and just pray tonight that as we look at this lovely subject that the Spirit of God would just touch us each and help us in these days that are ahead for we feel and we know that we're living in the last days and that, that the Lord could come. I believe the Lord could come tonight. I don't think there's any scripture to be fulfilled before he comes to the air. Oh, Father, just touch us, we pray. Pray for those of our families who are not saved. Pray for our neighbors, Lord. And we pray for others that we know. We pray for those in authority in our country. And Lord, we continue to pray. And we pray this in the lovely name, the beautiful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>